If you're looking for the Rockstar Violinist Podcast, do not adjust your dial. You are in the right place, I promise. right things are not always as they seem welcome to episode six of electric violin shops podcast rockstar violinist this time we're talking to the world's biggest stars in the field of hip-hop violin black violin this podcast is brought to you by daddario strings and Codabo. now both kev and will use daddario strings and Codabo bows and we will talk about that in our interview This was an honor for me and a whole lot of fun, and I'm sure you'll enjoy it too. Right now, you're listening to their hit song, Stereotypes, from their album, Stereotypes. We'll listen another minute and then get to the interview. Ladies and gentlemen, Black Violin! Stereotype. An often unfair and untrue belief that many people have about all polar things with a particular characteristic are the same. Stereotype. An unfair and untrue belief that that many people have about other people or things. Stereotype. A standardized mental picture that is held in. Pueden predecir el comportamiento de una persona basada en su raza o nivel social. Estereotipo. So you guys both started in public school music programs, right? Did you start younger? Um, yeah, we both started in public school music programs. I started, you know, fifth grade or so and uh, took a Saturday program and ended up getting into a performing arts middle school and a performing arts high school. And then we met in high school in orchestra class, uh, what, 1996? Yeah, <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, no, when you say it out loud, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that's how we did it. Um, just all public school, you know, didn't have lessons, anything, just had a, a, a opportunity to learn it and, you know, kind of get our, our feet wet within classical music in, in public school and just took advantage of it. Yeah, now you were telling me a story that you're uh, your orchestra director and uh, had some sort of a deal uh, to get yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so basically, you know, I wanted to play the saxophone and um, I went up to the band teacher. I was like, listen, I was excited. I was like, listen, I want to play the saxophone. He's like, all right, just sign up. And I guess the... Um, a string teacher, Mr. Miles, was standing there, and um, they basically just they just had a bet. They just played golf. They're like whoever wins this golf game gets this kid in their class, and the string teacher won. So I got put in his class, and it was just funny walking in there because I was expecting woodwinds and, and brass instruments. So, and I was stuck with the class for two weeks. It was like a summer program, and um, I just took advantage of it. I loved it. It was kind of odd at first because. I've never honestly seen a, a string instrument up close, so it was very different. But um, but yeah, it's it just it's one of those things that you never know what is going to happen, how it's going to turn out. You know what I mean? I think for us, you know, it always get, gave us reasons to keep going. You know what I mean? Like you know, winning competitions and especially with the black violin thing, it just it's always been a, a steadily growth. You know. So you guys came up with the idea for Black Violin sort of early in your career then? Or is this something maybe came about later? Um, you know, it kind of was growing early on, but we didn't really know um, the impact that it had on people when we performed yet. We hadn't, we hadn't quite experienced the Black Violin effect yet. So, yeah, in high school, we'd kind of mess around with, you know, that new Busta Rhymes song or that new Jay-Z song. And, oh, there's a little violin line in it. I'm going to play around on it. But it wasn't until, 
like you know where me you know, I was I was finishing up college. We both finished up college, and then we would you know play, we had artists at the time were producing music, and we'd back up our artists just playing violin behind them. But people would stare at us and be like, "Who are those black guys in the back playing violin? And where's their music stands?" And you know, and we were just for us, we were just you know we just could play anything by ear, and it was just something we had always trained ourselves to do. But it took a while for the two worlds to meet and for us to realize that, man, this is something really cool that people really respond to. If we package it in a certain way, then we can get the whole world to understand it, you know? And so it took a while. It was, wasn't until, you know, far into college until we started really blending the two worlds together and trying to make it, make them speak to each other, you know? Um, but we had kind of dabbled with it throughout high school and, and early on in college, but it, it took took a few years before we figured it out and kind of figured out the formula and how much of what side to put into it. Right. So that was all very intentional then. Was putting the thing together or was it just really sort of feeling out and being experimental? Um, I think it was more of that, just just having fun. You know, it definitely was very organic. We didn't wake up one day and say, wouldn't it be cool to play some hip-hop classical together? It's just something, because we were hip-hop before we were classical. So for us, the way that we express ourselves in hip hop with this, which was with this violin, you know what I'm saying? Just like, you know, if you're in drama you're or you're a dancer, you're doing you're doing hip hop dancing, but if you're in school you're doing ballet, you know what I'm saying? So it was the same exact thing. It's just that for us, we're hip hop, so okay, we got these violins, this viola, okay, let's just this is how we express ourselves. And that's what hip hop is all about. And it's always been something that was just fun for us, you know what I'm saying? It was it was something that you know, um, we would go into competitions playing something that all the kids knew on the radio, and it just made us look cool because they were just like, oh, look at him playing the Buster Rounds on the violin. And like, yeah, you know. So it was just re- it was just fun. You know, it wasn't anything that we felt like we could make a living doing this at all. You know, for us, it was just fun. Went to college and, you know, played a bunch of classical stuff. And, and then we came back together and started, started um, producing and, and that, that was the thing. We wanted to be the next major producers. We wanted to be the next Neptunes, the next Timbaland. But um, like you said, like you mentioned earlier, just performing with artists and people seeing us in the back, they were just like, man, they were just really drawn to us. So we just started putting ourselves out there more, you know, as artists. You know, that's kind of how we started. So you said when, when you got done, you guys both went to music school then. Mm-hmm. Yep, performing art. You know, we, well, high school we went together, but for college, I went to Florida State and uh, he went to FIU. Okay. So then you guys just kept in touch through college, and then after college came back home and, and each other was there? Pretty much. Came back, we moved in together. Um, he actually had a condo with a, with a friend of ours, and um, and I was like, oh, we're, well, I'm coming down. You know? <laughs> yeah. So we all moved in together and just producing. You know, we would, you know, we were big Timberland fans. Mm-hmm. You know, anything that he came out with, this is... This is when he would produce like Justice Timberlake first album mm. and stuff like that, and um, we're very uh, much drawn to that. And we wanted to be that. We wanted to be. We didn't want to be on stage. We didn't think about being on stage and performing. We wanted to create hit records and incorporating what we knew, which is classic music. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. That's awesome. So then you guys started backing up other artists. Then. Well, around there, like what we started doing in that time, we were producing 
beats. That's all we were doing is making beats. We wanted to be Timberland Neptunes. And we didn't even put the violins on the beats. Like it was just sort of like we wanted to take what we learned from being classically trained and going to music theory and going to sight singing class, ear training classes, 20th century music history classes, and take what we had learned. And actually we wanted to bring almost, um, we wanted to bring progressions and a more refined feel to classical and pop. And that was sure. the idea behind just the, product, the music production stuff. And so what we were doing is we had a couple of artists and we had we were developing them and producing them and making demos and, you know, just doing the whole music business thing, you know? And um, the two artists, after we had done all this work, they were kind of like, oh, we're going to go our own way. And we were sitting back like, man, we did all this work and, you know, we got nothing to show for it. For it. We learned how to, you know, be producers and, and, and create albums and songs. Um, but we didn't have anything to do, f do with it. So then, you know, that's when we kind of came up with the idea. Well, all right, well, let's get together and, you know, do this violent hip hop thing. People seem to like it. We live in Miami. Let's go to the clubs and try to make money by being this cool group, you know. And this is like the year 2001. I mean, you know, MySpace, I think, is just coming out. Yep. Um, there's no YouTube. There's no Twitter. There's none of that. So how do you get known? You know, there's no there's no Americans Got Talent. There's none of these things right. exist. There's, so it's sort you of like how to do the work. Thing. You had to actually do it. <laughs> You couldn't just put up a video just that you thought was cool and then millions of people think it's cool and now you have a career. Like It was different back then. And uh, so we had to develop it. So we developed it in the clubs in Miami, being turned away. When you go inside the club, you're like, yeah, I got these two black guys that play violin. They want to rock your club. And they just laugh us out the door and they wouldn't even try to give us the time of day. And we just go out in front of the club and open the trunk to the car and you know turn the radio on and bang right there and then they're like whoa like that's what you're talking about come in like we got you and that's how it will work and so we had to just kind of like slowly craft this together and we sent off a tape to showtime at the apollo mm. and uh it's the longest running talent competition in the in the world yeah and uh we sent off a tape to them in 2002 they called us back in 2004 and they said we never. They overnight said to, success. Yeah, right. <laughs> they said we sent it to a mailbox that doesn't exist. I mean, they never check it. They never checked the mailbox. So they checked it two years later, and there we are sitting in there. We went on Showtime with Apollo. We never lost, and we won the entire season of 2005 Showtime with Apollo, and we won 20 grand, and that was the start. And that was sort of, you know. And if you don't know Showtime with Apollo, it's just like they boo you off the stage if they don't like you. You know, yeah, yes, it's like, not an easy it's, crowd. It's not. A, it's the <laughs> hardest crowd in the world. They boo and they love it. They wait for you to miss miss a note so they can boo you off. The stage and uh, we go on there never never lose and um following day um we go to alicia keys's manager's office and play for him right there in the spot and then you know two weeks later we're on tour with alicia keys playing billboard awards and vibe awards and all these award shows playing her hit song karma at the time and yeah. it's like ill violin riff in it and we're, we're hitting that violin riff. it's like a brahms and a stravinsky sample that they merged so it's this really hard sample to play because you're recreating something that doesn't even exist and will and i were able to fill it out so she took us out for a bit and then um, her music director pulled us out with um, Linkin Park for a bit and we did some stuff with Diddy and some stuff with Kanye and then we were opening for Jay-Z on European tours opening for Akon, opening for Fat Joe, like just all these really cool opportunities just kind of snowballed so like a snow, a slow snowball, you know, for the last 12 years. And that's nice. what's been happening. And every year we become more and more known and, you know, and we get, you know, different cool opportunities. And uh, so that's, that's been the, the ride since we want, you know, Apollo in 2004. Because you sent something to the wrong 
So you said something around the box, and it was cool. And I, I hope it's on YouTube. You go to our YouTube channel. Uh, it's like probably the very first thing we ever uploaded, and it's just you'll see it's us in our studio at the time in the house in the condo we had, and it was just us playing. I mean, we were playing. I don't know, like Jaquan Tipsy, like you know, two thousand and two songs. You know, I mean, like probably a Bow Wow song in there or something. It's just, you know what I mean? So, and it's just like it was a medley though, like eight minute medley, and they seemed to like it. So we uh, we went on there, never lost, and. And they've been making history ever since. Nice. Mm -hmm. So when did you guys start writing your own original stuff rather than doing covers? Was that also early? Well, I mean, we've, we've always, as producers, you, you know, you got to produce and write your own songs. I think the medleys is always something that we thought that, you know, because people like the songs. I mean, it's on the radio, songs on the radio. And we just, it is easy to put those things together and play on top of those. And people are just automatically like, oh, that's my favorite song. You put the violin to it. But the original is always something we've always done on the side. But we would incorporate it as the years go by. We, we would incorporate more and more originals in our shows, you know. Like right now, we do probably like 85% originals mm -hmm. and 50% covers. So, you know, so uh, it's all about just uh, continue to grow as we grow. We, we incorporate more originals and a few covers here and there, little splashes here and there, just to kind of show the versatility, you know. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. So, um, like we were talking before, I, I think y'all's story is pretty well known. It's well documented. You guys have, have definitely uh, have sort of made the, the interview circuit and have been pretty well interviewed and well known. And for our listeners, I think, who generally tend to be more musicians themselves and electric violinists and violists themselves, um, interested in hearing about some of your gear. I mean, mm. you've got a huge collection of violins. Yeah, I do. I have a lot of different types of violins. I mean, not as much as you guys have here, and I probably going to take three or four of these uh, violins that I saw in here home <laughs> today. But um but yeah, I'm I'm, you know, I'm a violist turned violinist. So I have my degree in viola performance and I've, you know, played viola pretty much all my life. I started on violin for 3 years and switched to viola and played that for, you know, 12 years or something like that. And then uh when we started Black Violins, we both couldn't be violists and Black Viola just don't got that ring, you know? What I mean, so um, so, you know, we just uh, so we flipped the coin I lost and now I'm a violin player, but I'm a <laughs> I'm a violin player, uh, I'm a violist in violin player's clothing, you know? So for me, when, when I talk about my instrument, I want it to be deep, warm, round. I don't like piercing. I'm not a big fan of the E string in general, but if I can make it nice and warm and round and not like sharp like a knife, then I'll, then I'll be on the E string and I'll play all kind of stuff. But for me, I like, um, I just want a real warm, bold, big sound. The, the 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 trick for violin black violin is just that we are you know when you whenever you see the violin you know except in really rare occasions it's backing up somebody you know right. it's why it's either in an orchestra with you know 30 other people with it you know and or it's you know in the back of you know a, a grammy's performance or something what we were trying to do is we wanted to bring the violin in the forefront and a big part of that is how does it sound sonically and how does it cut through amongst other popular stuff that you're playing. So if you're playing, you know, say something from Drake's More Life album or just like hard beats, how does that violin cut through? How do you get it to, you know, like cut through but be prominent and present but not piercing, you know? So for what I do, um, right now I'm playing the Yamaha SV250. I've been playing that violin for eight years and I've 
kind of figured out how to perfect it and make it sound the way that I want it to. Um, so what I do is I'm a violinist, but since I'm a violist, I run everything through bass stuff. So I go through Mesa Boogie, Mark Bass, I use Red DIs, I use all bass processing at the beginning of my signal. And then after that, you know, after I feel like I have a nice, warm, thick sound that you can cut with a butter knife and it's so thick that like when I feel like when I play and when I have like, say, if I have a track playing with me and something sounds out of, out of tune, I want them to be like, man, that track must be out of tune because that violin isn't out of tune, you know, because yeah. it, I want it to be thick enough, not loud, just the, the, I want it to be thick enough that it dominates it because if it's really thin, I feel like you, you can use the violin sounds out of tune really quickly. Right. If it's thick, it kind of just fat and it could just sit on top of the note and it could kind of be off either way, but it's not. It doesn't stick out. So that's why I like running bass stuff. So I run through, you know, various things. I have a Mark Bass compressor right now. But I'm running through Mesa Boogie DI bass preamp, but I use it as a preamp, not a DI. Then I go through uh, Mark Bass compressor. Not too much compression. I just like a little more attack, and it's a, a tube in it. And then um, I run through MXR 10-band EQ, which I think every violinist, any, every electric violinist should have some sort of either a 10-band or a parametric EQ because there are frequencies on the violin that you don't want to hear. You know what I mean? It just is. You know, no matter what violin I pick up, you know, with the Yamaha, I cut, you know, around 2K. Mm -hmm. um, with a couple of the other instruments here that I play today, I love them, but I would cut and boost certain things to, you know, give it my taste and my feel. Mm -hmm. And then I run through right now, um, I'm running through an ME80 multi-effect at the end of my chain just to be able to distort and pitch shift and harmonize and you know wah wah and all that you know what i mean so um that's kind of how my my setup is and i feel like i'm able to get a a really dark violin sound but that's what i go for and um but it's also thick and it would sound great in a stadium you know yep. and that's that's also what we're going for too but it but without piercing hopefully that's the idea i don't ever want anyone to be like oh that you know that you know that e-harmonic is just too much i don't want that we want it to be pleasing and we want it to be very classical and that's also part of it too is i'm not trying to be electric at all i use synthetic strings not steel strings i, I don't want that sound we want to be powerful you know but pleasing you know, so that's what I've been running. But you ask me next week, and my rig will be different. I'm always, I'm always changing, but it's always bass stuff to start. I always like warm, really two bass type stuff to to start, and then there from there I affect it any way I feel. Yeah, I was at your sound check this morning, and and I was telling your sound man I've never heard a Yamaha violin sound that that fat. Yeah, I mean Yamahas generally sort of have more of that that clear thin sound that's more acoustic. That people feel like it's it's clear and it's crisp and it's got that you know sort of it sounds like my acoustic mm -hmm. and, and when I listen to yours it really now that you tell me you're a violist mm. it makes perfect sense uh, <laughs> now, now that, okay now okay now I can hear the viola yeah, and what he's doing exactly you know and then also you know I hope it for what it is it's like you know I'm a violist um, in violence clothing but I hope that because of that you know I hope that I sound different because. I, the approach to it is different for me than any other violinist that is doing this kind of thing. So right. I, I kind of, you know, hope that, you know, you could hear me play and, it, you know, I'm not Lindsay or I'm not Damien Escobar or I'm not, you know, any of the other guys. Right. I'm Kev and you can tell, you know, and that's what I hope for, yeah, for sure. with the way that I, I, I process my signal. Well, I think a lot of us violinists sort of look at the violin as it's an E string with some other yeah. Stuff that you need to get. If you have to go lower than E, then these other strings. Are <laughs> and, I'm not know. that. I'm so the opposite of that. 
I'm so the opposite of that. I mean, the E string they have this purpose. I mean, nothing does a nice glissando like an E string. So I mean, you know, so but um, and, you know, obviously I have to live on the E string quite a bit because I'm in a group with a violist. So I mean, I mean, but um, but yeah, I'm I'm so much more viola than violin, but I can make the violin do what it needs to do. So yeah, I'll agree with that. <laughs> now you're just sitting here, you can't figure out what all this E string talk about. <laughs> well, for me, I. As you know, I try to keep it really, really simple. Um, I, I play with acoustic, acoustic viola, and um, I have a, I have a Fishman. Well, I used to have a Fishman pickup. That's you know, Fishman pickup. It's a cello version of it. And, um, and you actually came and brought me the um, what's it called? Yeah, the Cremona. Yeah. So um, and that sounds great. I love, I love the way that it sounds. And and for me, I try to sound as as acoustic and as warm as possible. You know. I used to travel with a, a UA preamp, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying, like a one, the, the 610, the UA 610, I used to travel with that, I used to travel, I mean, I used to travel with the 710 as well, so anything that would give me a, a warm, warm sound, I'll buy it, I'll, I'll, you know, something that's tube based, and I'll have it in my backpack, you know, because you can't check something like that, so anything that would give me that warm sound, I, I'm with it, in terms of uh, just pedals, I have Everything that, if you're a guitarist and, and you've had it, I've probably had it too. You know what I'm saying? I've had like distortions. Right now I have the OCD mm -hmm. and I have the, um, I have a Neve compressor that I like that's really cool. I have uh, the Pog Octaver. So I have a lot of individual pedals and uh, obviously I have a loop station. I have a, um, the Eventide. Mm -hmm. It's the, um. Oh, harmonizers. Yeah, and that's Great. incredible. It just you, you get anything from that. I mean, all types of sounds and compressions. I mean, just anything. Yeah, it's incredible. So, um, so for me, it's it's about sounding as warm as possible and as, as acoustic and as classical as possible. Because for us, it's like you got this hard hitting beat, and it's important for us to have that classical <clears throat> on top of it because it. it that's how it makes sense, you know what I'm saying, mm -hmm. for us. It, it works for us, you know. Yeah, as a sound engineer, and I, I'm a sound engineer too, it's, I hear you both saying, I want warm and round. Mm -hmm. And the sound engineer's going, man, how on earth am I going to get these two warm, round sounds, A, away from each other, mm -hmm. and B, to work on top of a DJ and a drummer, which is uh, who you guys tour with. Mm -hmm. And uh, But, you know, hearing you guys this morning, you both have very, very nice, warm sounds, but they're very, very different. Yeah. And it's not hard at all, for me at least, mm -hmm. to hear, oh, I, I can definitely tell who's playing what. Yeah. I think it helps, too, that we're violin and viola. If we were both yeah. playing violin, which is like a lot of the groups that you'll see is just like a bunch of violinists out there. You know, I think the fact that, you know, he's a violist changes everything and allows more space for both of us to... You know, work just like more more frequencies for us to kind of live in. And like for me, I know once I get over above, like you know, once I get above like you know, you know C four or so, he's never going to be in that area with me. Right. You know what I mean? So and the same with him, he goes low, and now that's it. Like I got a G string. I mean, I do I octave too, but we've we've been doing it so long, and we know um, we complement each other. We find and our, our instruments do the way we play it does. So um, you know, it doesn't take much work for us to. Um, to, to have individuality within a duo. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for, for the people listening to the interview, these guys came into our shop today, and they just started picking up instruments in the shop and just started playing. And you can tell these guys have played forever together <laughs> because it's 
It's not even like, hey, let's do this, let's do that. There's no oral communication at all. It's just all musical communication. It, yeah. it, you can definitely tell you guys play together and, and sort of can feel each other out and one of y'all knows where the other one's headed. And Mm-hmm. That's, yep. yeah. that's just I mean, hours and hours and hours. Yeah, you like you'll see tonight because um, when you see the full show, we actually we freestyle ten minutes of the show and we tell the audience we're just gonna make this up and uh, you know and it's actually our favorite part of the show because this is the part of the show you just don't know what it is gonna be. Well, the rest of the show we know what the songs are gonna be. This part of the show it it can be anything every night and so we we throw ourselves in this fire every night to just create something that the uh, audience of a thousand or two thousand people that paid to see this is going to enjoy and because of that it, it's trained us to um just we can entertain by just playing anything you know yeah. it makes it where we just play anything we feel and we can get a crowd to react to it and um so when we're in a shop like this you know yeah we're we're actually having a conversation i mean you know you understood right. our conversation when we, we play uh-huh. but i mean some people don't they just hear it as music but we're actually talking and right. you know say hey you get the next one i'm gonna play rhythm this time but you don't it's just not it's nonverbal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's how we, we, we communicate All right, here's an example of what Kev was talking about. This is the first couple minutes of their freestyle in Portland, Oregon from April 3rd, 2017. This goes on for several more minutes, but there are tons of these videos out on YouTube for you guys to find. Highly recommend you seek those out. Right now, we're going to get back to our interview with Kev and Will from Black Violin. So where did you guys learn how to improv? Maybe because that's sort of the question that we get a lot here at the shop is, well, I can read music, but then somebody says, hey, well, just just play something in G. Well, I don't, I don't really know how to do that. So maybe you guys could, could give some, some advice to people to learn how to improv. 
Um, you know, it's just, we, we get asked that question all the time, too. And, I mean, obviously, you know, if you're a guitar player, the first thing they ask you at a lesson is, what's your favorite song? And they teach you how to play that. A violin player, they just put some notes in front of you, twinkle a little star, you, you, they show you how to play that. But, so, in terms of improvising, man, it's, it's for us, I don't know, it kind of just organically happened the way that it, that it did. You know what I'm saying? Like, expression, you know, expressing yourself. I, I used to literally, in high school, go into this little dark room, and it had a lot of reverb in the room. I would go in there and just turn the lights off and just play whatever I felt, you know what I mean? Because that's how I would I was able to get away, you know what I'm saying? Right. And I think over time, it just turned into this thing where the hip-hop is involved, and you put a beat on it, as long as I know what key it is in, I'm, I'm just playing all over it, so... I would say find yourself, find your voice, whoever, you know, you don't have to do hip hop if that's what you want to do. You can do country or whatever it is that you're into, but find your individual voice within that instrument so that when you express yourself, it's who you are. And then when you find that, you can honestly listen to a, a blues record and just start messing with it because you love that. That's who you are. You know what I'm saying? That you will eventually start, you know, improvising, freestyling based on where you are and who you are. You know what I'm saying? I think for the most part, that's how we started doing it. We didn't take a class in improvising. You know what I'm saying? I used to listen to a lot of jazz in, in high school, a lot of um, a lot of blues, a lot of jazz. But, you know, that's not the reason why I'm able to improvise, really. It's just I, I improvise because I close my eyes and I, and I just go. I don't think. I just go. You know what I'm saying? And uh, obviously, I know all the skills there is to know, and that's that's one of the big reasons because I'm not thinking about what note I'm playing. I'm just going. You know what right. I'm saying? It's just all feel. It's all expression at that point. You know. We have this when we do workshops, and uh, if we're ever in your town and um, we're doing a workshop, you should come because it, we tackle that quite a bit. I think the hardest part about improv is just doing it. You know, people like, well, I don't know the first place to start. Well, okay, here's this, uh, you know, what do you like? You like uh, hip-hop? Here, this is this Drake song. It's in G minor. Play anything in G minor as much as you want and go and jump, you know? And so we have this thing called jump training. And if you come to our, our workshop or our master class, you're going to freestyle or improv in front of everyone there before we're done with you, you know what I mean? In in this hour session. And and afterwards, you know, once we once you get them to do it, we'll just kind of play a drone and be like, bum, 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 bum. Bum, bum, you know, and it would just do that, and you know, Will will play that or something like that, and I'll say, now play a scale. All right, cool. Now play any note in that, in any rhythm that you want, and it's yours. Bum, and they just play, and they just sit there, and you see them, and they're thinking, and they're like, and then you know, so we let them go for like a minute, and like 30, 40 seconds in there, sort of like, and they find a groove, and they're like, and they just play like this little vibe, and then afterwards, and then we say, give it up for them, and everyone in the room claps, and afterwards we say, well, how did that feel? They was like, wow, I was really nervous, but, you know, I, I don't know, I felt really good after it, and I'm like, that's what it's about, because you played you, you didn't play any wrong notes, how is it a wrong note? It's your note, just how can it be wrong, you know? It's yours, and I think, you know, in order to, for, for kids on violence to feel that way, I think educators need to do a better job early on to allow them to just find their voice. You know, I think as, as far as violinists and violists and child string musicians in general, orchestral musicians too, you know, um, 
the instrument isn't theirs to start. I mean, you know, mama put me in this violin class. All right, that's your mama's instrument. Oh, man, I, I got into class and my teacher's really good and he got me going. Okay, now it's your teacher's instrument. When is it your instrument? When do you make it yours? You know, is it when you come to the electronic violin, electric violin shop and get a, 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 a pink violin and you throw a distortion on it? Then that might be when it happens. Or maybe it's, you know, when you play your acoustic violin, but you play that Katy Perry song or you create your own song and, and write a, a ver- lyrics to it. Maybe that's when it's yours. You know, but at some moment, you have to, like, take it from your mother. You got to take it from your teacher and you have to make it yours. And until you make it yours, it'll be hard to jump. It'll be hard to express yourself the way that you um, you feel like you would, and and that moment happens to a lot of people right before they quit. And they're just like, I don't know, I'm just gonna go be a cheerleader, or I'm just gonna go play football, you know. And I think for us, we were like, we had that moment where it was close that we could have gone and do that because I would have been a great linebacker. I mean, he would have been, been on the bench for somebody in the D league playing, oh, playing basketball uh, somewhere. Yeah, it's a great but, moment, right, right. But, uh, but you know, it's a, it's a moment where it's sort of like you have that that decision. I remember that decision clearly is like either you play football or you play in an orchestra because both of them are after school you could only do one of them and I chose you know the violin because you know I felt like I could I found my voice in it you know and um, so I think that's the thing that educators need to understand and anyone playing violin is just that you got to make it yours otherwise you will quit you know and you know but if you make it yours it's yours forever you know Will you hit on something that that has always been a pet peeve of mine I, I hang all my influences are guitar players. Mm-hmm. So I hang around guitar players all the time. I play in a band with two guitar players. And guitar teachers, exactly like you said, the first lesson the kid comes in, he goes, man, what turns you on? Is it Green Day? Is yeah. it Chuck Berry? Mm-hmm. Is it, who is it? What do you want to learn? I want to learn some Chuck Berry. All right, so let's, let's learn some Chuck yeah. Berry. In violin, they don't ask you who you want to hear. No. They say, here's how you play a G scale. Exactly. Here's, here's how you play a D one. scale. Here's, you know, you've been playing for 10 years. Here's a Bach partita. Yeah. yeah. And, and you never get to pick anything mm-hmm. that you want to play. Yeah. And I think as teachers, we can do better. Yeah, I think so. And I think there's nothing wrong with the scales and all the stuff. It's necessary. It's needed, well, you have right? To know them. You have to. You have to know. But there is it, there's something to just having a kid that's 10 years old that wants to play the violin and it is already an instrument that has the stigma behind it already. You don't know what I'm saying? It's being ballerina music or whatever. It's something to that that you can like tell that child, hey, what's your favorite song? Oh, that song by um, Drake or whatever. Okay. You mean this one? And you play it for them. They're like, oh, Sam, how did you play that? And you teach that to them. That kid is going to practice his eyes off <laughs> and try to learn that little line. You know what I'm saying? And at the same time, he's going to be like, oh, Steph, I can't really learn that unless I learn yeah, the G-Lage skill. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? So I think teachers just got to do a better job of like grabbing these kids because I'm telling you, like the, that that genre, that music, the, the, the beauty of classical music, it, it's fading. You know, we see it all the time. Obviously, you go to major cities like New York or, you know, L.A., but... Places like Miami, it's just fading away. A lot of places, so we have to be able to grab these young generations and just entice them and make them see the the, the beauty of this this genre. And that's the way to do it. We got to be able, to, as teachers and educators, you know, switch it up a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Well, you guys are both products of, of public school music, exactly. and so you're doing some things with with school kids 
mean, you get you guys did a concert for school kids this morning. Uh -huh. It's really early in the morning for musicians. <laughs> it's like ten or eleven a.m. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's a little painful, but that's um, actually pretty late. Yeah, actually, yeah. 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 Nine thirty in the morning. Yeah, show. we've done that. Mm -hmm. But you got some kids playing with you this afternoon, right? Yeah, it's at the evening show tonight. Yeah, tell us about sort of what you do. And you said you do that in a lot of towns. Right? Yeah, so basically, you know, I mean, it, it's one thing to come to the town and you know you sell some tickets and you have a show and then you leave. You know, that's one thing. Um, we like to come to the town. And we want to, you know, we want the community to be involved in in our performance and our visit to the town. So, you know, today is a great example of it. Where this morning we play a, a show for kids and it's just a field trip. So they all come and they just have a good time. It's just as soon as we start the shows, like this is a party. Take your phones out. You know, if you're gonna tweet, make sure you tagging us in it. You know, everything. Like you know, everything is just about having a good time. This is not what you expect. This violin show is not what you expect. We don't look like violinists. We pluck the violin. We do all different things. Like, you know, don't expect that anything in your life is going to be what you expect it to be. And that's what the point of the kids' show is. And they all often leave, you know, screaming, have a good time, and oh, yeah. then have to go back to school. I don't know. That's probably tough for the, the teachers. Teacher. So, I know. Because, I mean, they're <laughs> up screaming, at, you know, as loud as possible. So then during the day, we normally, you know, either, you know, come check out a cool violin shop or, you know, to do a bunch of interviews for next shows. And then um, around 5, 6 o'clock, we're going to rehearse with um, kids' notes here in Durham. And um, we're going to just kind of just have these kids come on stage and play, you know, last couple of songs with us. So we send the music to them beforehand. The teachers teach them the music. And they come on stage with, with Black Violin and they're able to perform with us on stage and just, you know, and, and get all that energy that we get back from this audience. They get to get it as well. And so now it's not we just we perform for a thousand kids or so. We're able to play a sold out show here tonight and we're able to have, you know, 20, 25 young you know, violin students come up and, you know, be part of the experience. And they, they, you know, get to be part of this rock concert and be on stage and feel that audience roar and feel what the violin can be besides scales and arpeggios and Bach and, you know, and Beethoven, you know, it allows them to see the other side. And, um, and, and that's a, a really good day when we're able to come into a community and play for a thousand kids, perform a, you know, normal adult show sold out kind of thing and bring the community on stage with us so that we're not just performing here. We're hopefully leaving a, a lasting impact here. So, mm -hmm. and we do it everywhere we can, you know, wherever, you know, there's a, a, a young orchestra that's willing and, and able to do it and, and a venue that's willing to accommodate it. Um, we try to do it as much as we can. So I say we do it in 10 to 15 cities a year while touring. So you guys are, are both, we're at the start of a of sort of a long leg of touring right now. Yeah. Um, this is you're gonna be away from your families for pretty much a month. Yeah, about pretty a month. much. Yeah. You know, it's tough. But you know, it is what it is. And um, you know, we try not to be out too long, the more than fifteen days, you know, max, but it's one of those long stretches. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be all right. Yeah. I mean, you know, the way we think of it is like, you know, I mean, because we're probably out maybe 200 days a year, but, you know, those those 165 days we're not out, I mean, we're home, like just home, home, you know? So I often think uh, my wife, uh, she also works, she works a nine to five, basically. And so she drops the kids to school in the morning and, you know, picks them up from aftercare after, after work when I'm gone. Um, but then in the summer, she's, you know, she's working nine to five. In the summer... I'm in the house with my kids all day, every day, you know? Right. So it's like, we still kind of get the time. It's just like our weekends are all like clumped up into like large months. Right. And our work, our weekdays are clumped up into other large months. So it's sort of, but it all kind of balances itself out. Yeah. So how, how is your practice life when you guys are on the road? What's, um, mm. 
How, how do you sort of keep your, your chops going in your practice? On stage? <laughs> On stage. I mean, literally, like, you know, we've already played. This is uh, March 23rd, and we've played, we've played 40. Tonight is the 40, 45th show of the year. And we took, like, you know, we had, like, three weeks off just now. So we, we had played about 35 shows by February 20th. You know, so we took, we, you know, we, we just tour. We play a lot of shows. Plus, we do a lot of two, two a day. So um, we're probably on pace to do around 180 to 200 shows this year. And uh, it's a lot. It's a lot of shows. Um, but it's a beautiful thing, you know. I'd rather do that than be in a cubicle somewhere, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather be on stage. I think it's like the, uh, you know, we get, um, we get paid to travel, but the show is yeah. for free. Cause you know, oh yeah, I love I love the show, but I play for nothing. You're paying me to be away from my family. Exactly, yeah. exactly. True. You know, and um, especially because now it's like we've been everywhere pretty much. So it's like you know, even on this run, this mostly all it's mostly U.S. This 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 part of the year, but we've been to every single city <laughs> so many times. So it's sort of like yeah, oh yeah, Durham. Like I love, love, love this hotel. Oh, the elevator's over here. Come on. Oh, let's go to the pizza spot. Like we know all of these cities now and. And it's just so it's like the, the the thrill of it is different, you know, but um, but it's still great. We got the greatest job ever. I like all that stuff they didn't teach you in geography class. You got to learn it first. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you think we learn it, but most of the time you just uh, the bus is just parked in the back of the loading dock. You wake up, you you know what I mean. You have a cup of coffee, go up in there, you know, sound check, play a show, go back on the bus, go to sleep, and wake up in another city. So most of the time we don't even see the road that we drove in on. So you don't even really see much, but yeah. um, but the performing part is is the best. We used to pull out a back when when hotels had yellow pages. Ah. We used to pull out a yellow page and put it on the nightstand between the beds. So when you woke up in the morning, you knew where you were. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, you know, those hotels yeah. all looked the same. I know. Shit, I I know. I Albuquerque. Know. Yeah, there it is. Albuquerque. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's a good one. That's a really good one. Yeah. So uh, what's next? You guys going to do some more some some writing, or is this year mostly just going to be chasing the tours around? Well, definitely touring um, until maybe the end of May, and we've got a few spot dates in June during the summer. And we're working on an album right now. I'm not sure when it will come out, but working on an album in the studio now. Just, yeah, just new music, um, new video content, just new, new, new. Mm -hmm. That's pretty so much it. So just look out for all the new stuff, you know, blackviolent.net, the website, and Twitter, Instagram, all that, all that mm -hmm. good stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, just trying to take over the world one stage at a time as usual as far as the touring is concerned. And then, um, yeah, I think we want to just, you know, definitely make this album incredible. I mean, all of our albums we think are incredible. But with this particular one, you know, I mean, it's like we have a real uh, kind of opportunity, I guess. You know, I mean, we've kind of created our base. And the right. first three albums we're trying to like, you know, this is who we are. And right. You know, putting your feet in the sand. Now it's sort of like, all right, I think we've established who we are. It's like, what do we want to be now? Like, what do we want to become? Like, now that you've, you know, we set the foundation, what house are we building on top of this? You know? Yeah, are, I, are listeners getting the exclusives? We got any any ideas <laughs> about maybe what we're going to try on this album that we haven't done before? <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I mean, for us, creative process, we try not to limit ourselves to anything. I mean, you know, we could, you know, we could come up with a song with just literally just like a violin riff or a viola riff or a producer comes in and brings a B. It just doesn't even matter. So mm -hmm. for us right now, we're still at the beginning stages of it. So we don't even know what's, what the name of the album is. Yeah, you know, so. we have no idea. Like we're still sketching. And like, you know, we figure like, you know, how we 
kind of coming up with stuff is just like, well, just be in a room and be like, hey, you heard this song? I like how this song, you know, does a call and answer. Or I like this song, how this song is major minor. Or how this song, you know, is talking about, like, something really positive, but it's not preachy. And, it, like, we'll, we'll have a list of songs that we like, just, you know, either old or new or anything. And we'll discuss and toss around what we like of those songs and kind of come up with vibes and feels based on that. Sure. And, um, you know, like, there's one that we're working on where Will was playing this Curtis Mayfield song and he put this effect on and play and then working with this producer Salam Remy and he just starts throwing bass on it and then now it's this Curtis Mayfield vibe but it's not it's not it's like inspired by but not derived from sure. and you know and that so we're doing a lot of that kind of stuff um, we've been listening to like a lot of Dvorak we've been listening to um, some Bizet trying to like take some pieces of that and throw it into popular the popular stream but you know so you know it's always good to also try to um, blend like some of the classics with the hip hop because sometimes, you know, um, even with people that don't listen to classical, there's classical songs that people relate to. Sure. Like Vivaldi Springs one. And we did a remix of that for the HBO show Ballers um, last year. We opened the season with this, with our version. And we actually featured on the show too. And like, so we'll take that. And that's one of those things like, oh, I know that song. And then you throw a trap beat underneath it. And now it's like, oh, what's that? Like, you know, that's a wow. So it's just sort of like, we like to do that a lot. So I don't know. It's just the album is... It's, it's, it, it has a lot of potential, I'll tell you that. It sounds like it's going to be you know, our best album yet. So we're looking forward to um, getting off the road and really putting, the, you know, putting this, this kick in the oven. You know, see how it comes out. Here's Black Violin's remake of Vivaldi's Spring that Kev was just talking about. While you listen, we want to mention our sponsors who make all of this possible. Literally. Not only do they provide financial support for this podcast, they make the products that keep the world's top artists on tour. Our sponsors are Daddario Strings and Codabo Bows. Black Violin uses products from both companies. Black Violin and many other artists we've talked to swear by Daddario Strings. When you look out in the audience and you see a hundred cell phone cameras pointed at you, you know that your performance is going to live forever on the internet. Kevin will encourage live recording of their shows. So there may be a thousand people in a venue, but millions could potentially hear every note they're playing over and over. They know that their sound has to be right all night, every night, outside and inside, hot environments, cold environments, in the sun, in the shade. They need versatile, stable, warm, clear-sounding strings. And that's why they choose Daddario. Daddario is doing another giveaway. They gave away a set of octave strings in some of our earlier episodes. They're giving away a set of Zayek strings now. Look for the link in the info section of this podcast and register to win. Our other sponsor is Kodabo. They are the premier manufacturer of carbon fiber bows for violins, violas, cellos, and basses. We actually talked quite a bit about Kodabo and Daddario in their interview, so I will let Kevin Will tell you about Kodabo and why they love them. So some of the gear that you guys use, I mean, you, you've got violin endorsement with Yamaha, right? Mm-hmm. I'm endorsed by Yamaha, yep. And um, uh, I'm, we're also both endorsed by Kodabo, so we use um, the Jewel, we use all different kinds of Kodabos. Um, it's like probably the most versatile, you know, bow you can... 
use it anywhere and I feel like it's um it's good outdoor indoor it's just you know last doesn't warp you know right. we're in every kind of weather and condition so um and outside indoor you know we are everywhere so you know we, we definitely love uh using codable and uh um you know and strings the Dario strings are always good and you know we try to use uh um just you know we're always open to everything but you know uh the Dario has been pretty good to us with strings too so Good. Yeah, the, the thing I like about the carbon fiber bow, A, because like you said, sometimes you're outside and it's 105 degrees, and mm -hmm. sometimes you're in these freezing cold theaters. Yeah. Yeah. You're flying, you know, you've got these just extreme conditions for the instrument and the bow. And uh, I just shot a video yesterday for one of my deals, and I'm in there flipping my bow. I yeah, saw you. I do. I flipped my bow. So you made me. So I'm like, man, I saw Kev doing this. I got to figure out how to do this. Yeah, man. And with a wood bow, you start flipping a wood bow, and you see all these violinists just tense up and like, uh, yeah, it's yeah. about to break a $2,000 bow. I know. I know. You know yeah. I love it. And it's funny, like, even when I'm. <laughs> I mean, Codable, they make a fiber, uh, uh, fiberglass bow, and they know they make a fiberglass bow, but then even if I'm, if they come to the show and they see me and I toss it in the air, I still see them hold their breath. I'm like, your bow's not going to break. I mean, I, A, I'm not going to drop the bow because, you know, I do this, but, but B, like, even if I dropped it, it's not going to break. You're good, you know? So, I, I mean, I love that, too. But, I mean, for me, too, the, the, the Codable, I, I feel like my instrument, my strings, like, me... All of those things change with the weather. My bow, like, it just feels very, very static. I don't feel like it ever, I'm ever worried about my bow. And with my wood bow, I would worry about it, you know, when we're, you know, playing at Fort Myers and 65 degrees outside when it's humid. And then the next day we're in San Francisco when it's cold and, you know, dry and it's a different. So I would worry about my bow more and I, I don't worry about it because of the cold bow. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Mm -hmm. So you guys put on a great stage show. I mean, watching you guys, it's just high energy, you know, pedal to the metal the whole time. That's not something that gets taught in orchestra. No. <laughs> so, so who are maybe your influences in, you know, who, who showed you guys how to, how to command a stage like that? Um, <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, I don't think we were taught by 81. I mean, obviously we're influenced by a lot of different artists, you know, um, Buster Rhymes, honestly, I used to I used to watch some of his videos. He's a very just energetic performer. He just goes all in, you know. And um, and um, a lot of the greats, Curtis Mayfields, you know. For me, I think performing, it's just time, right? If if you've been on the road as much as we have, I'm talking about four, thirteen, fourteen years doing this, you just grow. You know what I mean? You grow and you get better and you start really finding yourself. And when you can truly find yourself, I think I didn't really find myself until like 09 or, or 2010. You know, when I could really, I can see myself and when I can come on stage and I and, and all I can think of is just, I'm not thinking of a, I'm not thinking about anything. You know what I'm saying? And it's, it's, it's a weird thing to say, but it's like, you know, if you're performing and only thing that's on your mind is just happiness and joy, you're not thinking about anything. And everybody performs differently, you know what I'm saying? Everyone kind of um, focuses more on just kind of like the crowd and and just how this person's going to react or that person's going to react. And some people just are in their own zone. They're in their zone. They just go in. They don't, they're not care about it. They don't see anything. They don't see the four walls or anything. So I think it's just it's just time. It takes time to kind of develop to the kind of performer you're going to be. And just it's just, just time. You, you start and you grow and you become the performer that you are and 
and we're still growing. You know, what I'm saying I'm still growing, and you know, I, I think I'm going to be a different performer in ten years than I am now. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I say the same. I mean, I think that, like, um, I was telling someone earlier today how um, she was like, oh, you guys make it look so easy. And I'm like, the violin is truly the easiest part of it for me. It's about performing. I think that's the energy. It's like, you know, I think that, um, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that like, energy is, you know, obviously it's not even me a firm believer, but it's a it's a, you know, scientific fact. It's just energy isn't, you know, um, created or destroyed. It's only transferred. So I feel like, you know, what we do is we transfer our energy to the audience. And you have to be, you have to think about that. Like you have to, you know, really give it. And I, I, I know we're not nervous and that's part of it too. It's just that like I, you know, everything we do, we just 100% ourselves and authentic with it and genuine. And it allows us to really just be free and just give ourselves to you. And it makes the show more impactful. I don't even think about the violin. That's just notes and, you know, I mean, that, like, I mean, I'm trying to make sure I'm in tune, I'm making sure I'm playing properly, all that, but for the most part, I'm concentrated on performing, and I think that that's something, like Will says, is like, you get it with time. You know, it's hard, I can't, no one can teach it to you. You know, the more times you're on stage, the more you realize that there's energies that you have to emit that you don't even know you have, you know? And and the first part of it is get past all the the, the nerves and, you know, the judgment of, oh, I played this note wrong or, oh, this person doesn't like what I'm playing. Oh, that person just walked out. Oh, that person's on their phone. I don't care. Right? Do what you want. I don't care. I don't care. I'm just doing me. If you like it, then you like it. If you don't, then bye. I don't care, you know? And I think that's part of it too. And But it takes a while to get to that point, you know? You're like, oh, do they like it? Oh, maybe I should turn down more. Maybe I should turn up. You're all thinking about these things. We go on stage with none of that. And it's just like, oh, you don't like it? All right, and that's not for you. It's fine. I mean, I mean, we have no hard feelings. It's cool, you know, but, you know, we're just going to be us, 100% be us, and that is what people are drawn to. I mean, in every walk of life, I mean, anywhere you see, people are more drawn to people that are more genuine and authentic than they are of people that's just up there faking the fun. You know? so that's, that's not just music. That's life in general. That's, that's life, life in general. Life. I mean, it, may not, it may not be able to relate to it, but they will respect it because it's like you can't deny that energy. That's that's real. That's a real person doing whatever it is that, that he's doing or she's doing. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like I, I even make this, you know, not, not even to be political with it, but like same thing with our president. Like the reason why people are drawn to him, even if people think, oh, well, you know, he's this or he's that. Well, he is exactly who he says he is, and he is his own. He's his own thing, and he is genuine in his own way, and that's what people relate to, regardless of what you think his politics is. And and I that's a real point, you know, and not I, I wanna go down that path and that you know, go down that, that rabbit hole, but really that's what it is. And so for us it's just about being completely ourselves a hundred percent and people can see that we don't care if you like it or not. Like you can right. see that on the stage. You can feel that because it's not a it's about what we're doing in our vibe and you pay to come see it and we can we're gonna entertain you but it's it's gonna be we're unapologetic with our stuff for sure, know? and that's a, that's a, a, a most of the great artists are yeah, if you notice them. So you know they just gonna do them, and that's how they do it. And you don't like it, then yeah, it's not for you. Go buy somebody else. Go buy somebody, go buy somebody yeah. else's record. Go buy another ticket to another show. And, I, and it, but that also comes with time because it's hard. You're, it's it hard to 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 take take to put your insecurities and put them away. 
hard to do that. Yeah, when you're 18, you want everybody to love you. Exactly. And when you're a brand new artist and all that stuff, you know, if you look at the great artists, they don't care if you like them. You know, you know, look at just go down the line from the, you know, from Michael Jackson to Beyonce. So, I mean, they do. They have they, they want their fans, but ultimately they don't have time to worry about it. You know, the haters is going to yeah, say, I, oh, I'm, Jimi Hendrix didn't care. He, of course. Oh, of course he doesn't care. You know, and that's. You can see it. You can feel it. But it's a hard thing to, to get to that point. And even with us, I mean, you know, we've been doing this so long and we've, you know, we've performed all the corners of the world and for all different types of people. And, and for us, we also know it works. So, you know, we've seen That's it true. work constantly. So it's like, if you don't like it, it's cool. There's a lot of people that do like it. So yeah. You keep can it get moving. to the end of the very long line. <laughs> exactly. People like to get keep it moving. You know I mean? You know, we're oversold tonight. I mean, we could, could even, you know, get our friends in to, to see our show tonight. So. Yeah. As far as problems go, that's a good problem. That's a great problem. <laughs> so we'll, we'll take it. So we'll take it and be unapologetic tonight. And that's so you guys have talked about, like you just said, you've been around the world and played. Give us, give us one good or two good road stories, and maybe some some high profile people you've gotten to be out with, and maybe some some stories about somebody that nobody knows. Man, this is a hmm. black violin exclusive. We got uh, arrested in China. Yeah, we did get arrested in China. We were playing. Um, we we're playing with the state for the State Department. So Hillary Clinton, back when she was Secretary of State, um, invited us to play the World Fair and on behalf of the United States. So we were the band at the United States Pavilion in the World Fair in Shanghai. I want to say 2010 or 11. Yeah, uh, so we stayed in China for like two weeks or something like that. Nice. And the first day we get there, um, the liaison, uh, just a normal American white guy, you know, just, you, can, you know, you can see him. And, but he speaks fluent Chinese, you know. So he picks us up and then we go to the, to the hotel. We're all jet lagged. He was like, you know, you shouldn't sleep now. Let's go out and then just, you know, see a little bit of, you know, of Shanghai and then come back and rest, you know, after. So we were like, okay, cool. He's like, you know, you want to go to a fake market. So we go to this fake market. The fake market is basically, it's just, you know, everything is made in China. So they bootleg everything in China. So it's like back in the day, Beats by Dre's just came out. You know? yeah. So this is tell you how when this was. And they were we were able to go in those fake markets and they'd try to they'd try to beat you. They'd be like, hey, you know, like, you know, you come in and they were like, hey, we got beats by Dre, you know, hundred dollar, hundred dollar. And then, you know, the liaison's like, all of this is fake. Just understand that everything in here, even though it looks good, it's fake. And but it looks great. You cannot even tell. And I was like, oh no, 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 I'm okay. And they were like, and you walk away and they can pull you back. Like, no, no, no. Just playing, just playing. You know, twenty five dollars, twenty five. You know, and then but then after you've been in there for a while, you realize you can really beat them on the price because it is really fake, even though it looks real. So you know, we we're walking out of there with Beats by Dre's for like three dollars a pair, five dollars a pair. Then break after like two weeks, but you know. So um, Will was up there and he was buying this helicopter. Um, you know, he's big into that type of stuff. He's buying his helicopter and he's buying it for thirty five dollars. I go to him like, "What are you doing? Like, you're not gonna get a receipt. This is a Walmart. You know." Five dollars, you know, <laughs> and that was my go-to for everything. Five dollars. So um, our tour manager uh, at the time was there too, and um, our drummer was there, and um, the liaison is there, and the liaison's a tall white guy, so he looks different than us, but he's American. And I tell the liaison, I'm like, hey, you know, Will's gonna get get beat over there in the helicopter. So the liaison goes over. And, you know, he just talks to the guy in Chinese or whatever. And he's just like, no, nah, you know, we're not messing with this. You know, nah, you're trying to beat him for the price. 
I guess the Chinese guy didn't realize that the liaison was with us. He just thought that he was the guy that was buttoned into his business or to his sale, you know, with another American. So after, you know, I'm just sitting there trying out some Beats by Dre. And then, you know, I see a Yankee cat fly in the air. And I'm like, what's going on? And basically the Chinese guy got in a fight with a liaison that we're with. And then we're like, wait a minute. So we start throwing Chinese people all over the place. And like, just, you know, because we're, we got to like, you know, and it's not even like we started the fight. But that's my boy. That's my boy. I mean, we don't know him really, but he He's, you know, he's yep. with us, so we got to take care of him. So we go over there, uh, and then, um, and then we, 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 you know, it was crazy, you know, pandemonium. Then after it all settled, all these people looking at us, <coughs> we're completely stand out. I mean, we stand out <laughs> so hard in China, it's crazy. And then so we're like, all right, let's go, let's get, let's get out of here. So we're going down the stairs. We're on the fourth floor. We'd gone through the whole fake market at this time. Get down to the first floor, and as we're trying to leave, there's. Um, yeah, I swear the whole mall is there, all surrounding us, and we're like, I don't know if we should leave and go outside. So we have to call the state department and all this stuff, and we end up going to this um, this jail that looks like a check cashing store. I swear, it's just like you know, it's, it's like it was like no security, but it was it was crazy. And then we go there, we actually get exonerated because they see the footage and they see the guy started it, and the guy had to apologize. To the liaison, it was like the you know the guy did not want to do it at all, and it's because it was like disrespecting his family sure. by doing something like that. And it was real; like he was almost ready to go to jail instead of apologizing. That because that's respect is everything sure. there, you know. So you know, and then we you know finally got to the police station, and we had to leave there, go to the hotel, and I think we had a show that night or something, and we ended up playing the show. So it was just a wild story to start in China, and um, it ended up being an amazing trip, but. You know, I didn't think that we'd ever see the inside of a, a Chinese police station and uh, <laughs> see how that whole thing went. But. You didn't see that coming when you started playing the, the violin? No, I didn't. I didn't see that coming. But but oh, that, wow. was, that was that was that was an interesting one. But that was just us on tour on, on, with ourselves. I remember being in Thailand once, and we were like um, we were opening for we were with um, Fort Minor, which is a Lincoln Park side project. We we're we we're playing with their their band. And um, I remember like being in the streets of Thailand, being like, "Hey, you know, can you um, point point me to the McDonald's?" And they're like, "They have no idea what I'm saying." And then um, as we're going to, as I'm trying to say, "Hey, point me to the McDonald's," they have no idea what I'm saying. But then we we get on stage that night, and um, it's a sea of people. We're on like the soccer field, like probably the biggest show we've ever ever been at, it's the biggest crowd we've ever seen, maybe hundred thousand people, something like that. And Lincoln Park, um, they play, they play uh, in the end. So, you know, oh, yeah. sitting there playing it. So, you know, whatever. And the song comes on. It's like in the end, it doesn't really matter. And like, and then they cut the music, and then the whole crowd is singing it. And I'm looking at them. I'm like, but you didn't even know how to tell me how to get the McDonald's earlier. But you know every song, and it proved more than ever that that concept that music is so universal. I mean, it really is, and um, yeah. it's really cool to be able to be to be able to do this for a living. And, uh, travel and, and get to see those kind of things and go to Thailand and we've been everywhere we've been to probably 50 countries <laughs> 49 states um, missing Hawaii if someone wants to mm, think it's a no book no doubt Hawaii. Yeah. Hawaii miss Hawaii I know yeah. I know so that's the only one left <coughs> the only one left but yeah so is there any place that you that you've been that you definitely want to go back South Africa Cape Town for sure yeah yeah, yeah. So yeah. South Africa is amazing I'd love to go back it's kind of like LA it has an LA vibe Mm. Johannesburg has more of a New well, York the weather vibe. for sure. <laughs> Great yeah, the weather. weather, just weather. you know, and cool people. You know, what I mean, it's Ages. a lot of it's a lot of history. You know, um, in South Africa, obviously, um, but. You know, it was just, it had a, it, I don't know, it did it just had a great vibe to me. I really liked it. I would, I would, you know, I want to bring my family there to let them mm. see that. I mean, so, so South African, Africa in general, 
Um, it's, I would want to go back and spend more time. Um, Asia's probably my favorite, but you know, Africa's Africa's definitely up there. <laughs> so you guys get to bring your families on some of these overseas trips or no? Not really, not yet. <laughs> yeah, I think you got to get to a certain level where you know, because I mean, we're working. You know, it's right. just like you know, you bring your kids to work. You know, I mean, yeah, like it's anymore, just like that kind of yeah. exactly right. So it's like you know, when you get to a certain level, then yeah, you can do that kind of stuff. I think we're still trying to get to that level, particularly internationally. They come out on a lot of the U.S. stuff. You know, they'll you know come to the big stuff if we play the Tonight Show. My wife came out of that, or the kids will come out to you know certain shows. You know, anytime it's take your take your daughters to work thing, then they want to come to wherever sure. I am. So yeah, so you're able to, but for the most part, you know, if we're playing 150 shows, 200 shows a year, they'll come out to like five or six of them, you know, in the in the cool places, you know. And we're from Miami, so not the cold places. They don't right. want to go anywhere cold, but <laughs> if it's like, you know, L.A., New York, you know, a good time, a cool thing, you know, like, they're down for that. Uh, any other stuff that you guys want to hit? No, nah, just make sure that you just make sure that you you know check us out at blackviolin.net. You know we're in your town, I'm sure, and uh, uh, you know follow us on Facebook. That's probably our best spot. Instagram is always great. Twitter, you know, we're active there as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, and yeah, um, stereotypes in stores now. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Shameless plug. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thank oh, you, guys. for listening to episode six of electric violin shops podcast rockstar violinist brought to you by daddario and Cotabo. we release episodes every two weeks so keep an eye out for the next one and be sure to subscribe on whatever platform that you're using to listen thanks so much and we'll see you next time